Hello and welcome back to Rupture Radio. It's Dermot here, returning after a short break, to bring you a discussion myself and Michael had with Corner Spady's own Kieran Dold. Kieran joins us to discuss the recent September housing referendum in Berlin and also gives a sense of the general housing and political situation there. I'll not hold things up any longer and we'll go straight to the episode. Cheers. All right, I'm joined by Michael. Welcome, Michael. How's it going? How's things? And we are delighted to be joined for his second appearance on the podcast by Corner Spady's own Kieran Dold. Welcome, Kieran. Yeah, welcome, welcome to me. Excellent. Uh, um, I'm very <laughs> giddy because we had a conversation that'll probably be cut. That was insane. <laughs> <laughs> Parts of it might be retrieved for like after credits, so people will have to listen if they're interested in weird Nickelodeon series. You ever have like that one friend who gets obsessed with mind-numbingly esoteric nonsense? <laughs> yes. Hi, I'm Kieran. You've met me before, probably. <laughs> Ireland's a small place. We could have hung out once before. <laughs> I cornered you in fibbers or something. Yeah. <laughs> you need that, like, especially because you are you were saying you're pairing this with things you're doing on Cornish Beatty uh, about Gladio. And I think anyone I know who get serious about like weird stuff in politics always have to balance it out with an equally insane thing to get obsessed about but ultimately yeah. kind of harmless yes yes yeah yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah. Uh, but then you find out all the dark stuff that happened on yeah. the set yeah. of like the amanda Bynes show and you're yeah. like oh no <laughs> <laughs> no back escape the CIA yeah. Really is grim. yeah yeah it puts everything else back in perspective <laughs> a very grim perspective um but unfortunately for listeners we're not going to be discussing uh inter nickelodeon series drama we're going to be discussing recent events in germany and specifically berlin in relation to a September referendum in which over 1 million Berliners voted to socialise near 240,000 apartments in the German capital. I guess to start off, just Kieran, if you could lay out like what was the nature of this referendum, where did it originate, how did a vote about this even come about? Like I, I can't imagine um, that it's a linear process for something like this to, to crop up, so I guess just the background on things would be good. Right. Well, okay, Jesus. Uh, where do we start? With all things like Germany, we have to start in the year 1945. Um, there are no more houses. They're all gone. <laughs> Did they deserve it? Yes, but they are all gone. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, no, like I've, it sounds like I'm joking, but genuinely, Germany and Austria and possibly Switzerland, I'm not entirely sure, have a very different attitude towards housing than the rest of the continent, the rest of what you would call the quote-unquote West, um, where people do rent for life. Um, I've been struck by this as being very weird, and there's like small things in the culture, like if you go into banks here, the big thing they'll be advertising, unlike Irish banks where they're advertising, get a mortgage, they're advertising, hey, do you want a loan to buy a car? Because that's probably like the biggest single expenditure any individual makes in this country, or like the average individual. Um, there's not even like a, a terribly weird class divide about this. Uh, when I first moved to Germany, a friend of mine was working as an au pair and, you know, she's working for relatively well-off families, uh, but they're renting. They're rent they just rent a much nicer apartment than I have, but like they are still renting and the German, because renter protections in this country are so good, uh, the Germans don't really see the point in having a house. They feel like, you know, oh, it ties me to a place. I'm then in charge of like my maintenance bills. 
Um, rent in this country is also inclusive of things like heating, which I personally quite appreciate because it just means that my uh, heating bill is like spread out across the year rather than it getting more expensive in winter and stuff like that. Right. Um, and this is all due to the fact that basically after World War II, no one had a home anymore. So it had to be, renting had to become viable, basically, as a way to live with a, a semblance of dignity. However, you flash forward to uh, 2020 or so, uh, well, earlier than that, probably like 2018, 2016, um, Berlin now has still quite low rents it's the reason why i moved here um i could never really afford to make it work in ireland Mm. um that's a sad story for another day i'm sure but uh the situation in berlin is pretty good from an outsider's looking in that's the same of like most english speakers i hear are also like uh, from la originally new york originally london originally like it's a you know (laughs) there's a pattern there and even though there's like prisons here and stuff like that but it is the fastest rising rent of anywhere in Europe. Um, it, there's places, there's neighborhoods in the city that have seen their rent increased, uh, even with all the protections in place about how much you can raise your rent by something like 200% um, within the period of like four years. Um, so pretty sharp uh, uh, um, and harsh reality for people. A lot of people who live and grow up here are being pushed out because people rent for life. There's also the situation where like, pensioners are looking at their rents being like is this going to work with my pension and if it starts increasing not so much um so it makes for a very very different dynamic naturally this had resulted in a lot of people realizing that some sort of relief need to be uh, um implemented um we had a law combat that was called the Mietendeckel, which is a whole other saga that translates as rent cap or rent lid and I can get into that in a bit. But then that ultimately resulted in a campaign called Deutsche Wohnen Quantignen, translated as Deutsche Wohnen um, seizure, uh, <laughs> seizing, remember, um, to like, take back the property of Deutsche Wohnen, uh, which is a German property management company, the biggest in the city, uh, which is why they were selected. But it is Deutsche Wohnen und Co. and Associates. Uh, uh, um, seizing reimbursement uh, yeah i forgot the verb unfortunately um yeah and that was a grassroots campaign to hold a referendum in the state of berlin about seizing the property of corporate landlords who own three thousand apartments or more um which again is also something that strikes as quite different holding three thousand individual apartments while being like a single entity, I believe is the highest number of apartments held by a singular entity in like the city of London. Uh, whereas that's like actually like a benchmark in Berlin for like below 3000 apartments is like a small landlord or something. Like if you have 2,999, you're just like a mom and pop landlord or something. <laughs> um, but like uh, Deutsche Wohnen, I believe holds something like 150,000. Uh, there's other companies that operate similarly like Venovia and things like that. It's pretty common in the city that you would not know the name of your landlord because it all goes through the property management company. You just have the company name, effectively. And these are all German landlords? Or like is no. it foreign capital, you know the way? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Same, so similar enough to Dublin in that, you know, uh, a lot of 
foreign landlords will come in here now, big corporates, mm. and buy up all of the stock um, to, to rent. Is that similar similar case in Berlin? So Deutsche Wohnen is a German company, but like some of the big landlords in the city, Vonovia, which actually attempted to buy Deutsche Wohnen because while Deutsche Wohnen is bigger in Berlin, Vonovia is bigger in all of Germany. Um, Vonovia is a Swedish company. Um, similarly, there's an Austrian company that is knocking around. Um, but it, it, it's it's not as necessarily like foreign predatory as like some situations are. Um, I know like the London property market is particularly farcical for like uh, like Russian ownership and like UAE ownership and stuff like that. A lot of it is still owned by very wealthy Germans. Um, but there is the encroachment of like particularly the one that's particularly farcical is sweden where they have like much better renter protections than uh, um, germany does and then they then use that capital to then impose terrifying uh, or like pay rent uh landlord lobbies and land uh, property manager lobbies to like undo any kind of progress in that area and would you have the phenomenon in berlin of like either people deliberately keeping apartments empty just to make money off capital capital gains essentially or using them for airbnb rather than rental housing is is that as big a phenomenon in berlin as it would be over here so keeping things empty does happen and um airbnb stuff also does happen where entire buildings are turned into these kind of like mini hotels effectively where like you have like keypad entry and stuff like that and nothing is permanently owned however there's been like pretty sufficient uh, or not sufficient but like decent legislation against airbnb in the city one of the big problems was that what kept berlin rent historically and german rent in general historically low was the system where um called the mietenspiegel the rent mirror which basically meant that your the rent you pay in your apartment can only deviate from the average in your area by a certain percentage um, 5% over under, that kind of thing. I'm not sure if it's 5%, but that's the general idea. That started getting abused when your entire street or something would be owned by the one company. So they could then raise the prices in tandem uh, and basically abuse the rent mirror system. Um, other things happen as well is that in Germany, you also have this thing between warm and cold rent. Like I said, my heating bills included. But I do get a breakdown of what is actually rent rent, which is usually called the cold rent. This is the money that goes towards actually like living here. And then there's a thing called the Nebenkosten, the extra costs, which is like, you know, property taxes, uh, maintenance for the building and the hallways, bin collection, and also heating. It's all this extra stuff. And tactics that have occurred before is uh, uh, to try and push people out of apartments is to raise the Nebenkosten without touching the rent. Uh, the extra costs, um, and also purposely not maintaining the building uh, to kind of force people out because you could only rent under old laws. You could only increase the rent by a certain percentage over a certain amount of years for one tenant. Like if I were to stay, the system rewards you for staying put basically, but in between tenants is where landlords are allowed to do the most rent increase. So they have a tendency to try push people out. Um, but again, like I said, the tradition or what the system was kind of like built for was you are to rent for life. Um, so if you can stay put, it's pretty good, which is it, it, it's a 
strange phenomenon in the city where like you can have places here that are similar rent prices as those in Dublin, but then you have equally nice apartments that are like going for 400 or 600 euro a month. And that's because the person has been there since the nineties. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. Like, I think it's something to come back to. I was reading recently, there's a bit of discussion about like the different cultures, um, especially in Europe, mainland. Um, the cities are kind of built around apartment living. But I think you've laid out there the issues with the like Berlin housing, uh, the supply, the issues with people getting accommodation, just in terms of this referendum itself. So what was the process for this coming forward? Was it put forward by a party? Was it demanded by campaign groups? How does something like that get picked up? Because our understanding here of referendums is they often get put forward by the, the, the governmental party mm. um, and then voted on. But that is that the case here? I, I didn't take it that it was. No, referendums in Germany work a good, uh, a good deal differently. Um, Germany doesn't have the same attitude towards its constitution as Ireland does, where I think for all of Ireland's faults, I think we have more of a tendency to view the constitution as a living document or something that is changed where Germany is maybe a bit closer to America of it's like, is a sacred document. Uh, and a lot of that is wrapped up in the psychosis of without this document, we'd go back to being the Nazis again or something. Um, <laughs> don't look into some of the people who wrote this, but uh, the thing that was uh, uh, interesting though, it, it was put forward by a, um, a grassroots campaign. Deutsche Wohnungen is the name, uh, uh, sometimes abbreviated to DWE. Um, for anyone wants to kind of look them up, um, they started by doing two rounds of signature collecting. Um, one was to basically the first one is, uh, if I understand correctly, is to prove that the idea is like kind of legitimate uh, uh, that we have our rights to kind of do this. Then the second is to actually get the ballot on uh, uh actually get the motion on the ballot um and it coincided with a big election here it happened in the 2021 federal state and local elections happening simultaneously in this city um i was only allowed to vote in the local elections because i'm not a german citizen mm. but i was allowed to campaign i gathered signatures and stuff like that so yeah it was good <laughs> um and it was large, yeah, uh, in terms of like party support, um, the Die Linke, the left, supported it. And Berlin Greens eventually came around to supporting it. Right. Uh, Berlin Greens, though, are viewed as the most left-wing version of the Greens in this country. Right. And and is that is the case, is it? They're not like yeah, everybody def- oh, here. Yeah, yes. But only because it can get so much worse. Yeah, okay. no. <laughs> like the the Baden Württemberg Greens are like basically the same as Merkel's party. Yeah, I had read that, that. Like, there's a lot of when you hear Green parties talk about even our Green Party here, they talk about with like lauding the German Greens as being like an example. But when you look into the German Greens, they're quite moderate, um, not too far away. I don't suppose. Or I don't yeah, know. a lot of the German Green success was also a bit of a mirage as well. Um, yeah. It, it isn't like the, the, the classic proviso is that like everybody thinks other countries' green parties are way better than their green parties. Grass is always reality. greener on the other side. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll probably jump back to the broader political um, situation in a second, but uh, like back, back mm. to the, the referendum specifically, like I think it's something that really captured the imagination around the world on the left in general, but I think 
especially in Ireland from my experience because I think basically everybody I know has you know fantasies about expropriating their landlord um and I feel like the kind of reaction when you see the headline of 56% vote to expropriate mm. landlords in Berlin is kind of like oh hell yes expropriate them but it hasn't really been that simple in terms of action taken since the vote so c- could you fill us in on like what the actual effect has been of this referendum and what's been happening there sure so uh, well okay let, let's let's start with some good points first because it, it's worth talking about this was the in terms of signatures gathered and votes cast this was the most popular referendum in berlin history i think also even in german history uh germany cannot have nationwide referendums they can only be held at the highest at a state level um but still this was the largest turnout of votes, largest votes in favor. Uh, it's also more popular than any individual party in this city as well. So we're taking that into consideration. In terms of what's happened in uh, a meaningful like action so far, not much, but that could also be put down to the fact that Berlin still doesn't really have a government yet. Uh, neither does Germany also. Uh, hopefully they'll be kind of like sorted out soon. And yeah, those coalition agreements are still being formed. So... We're still going to wait and see. The campaign was very aware that this was like the beginning of the process, really. Now they have the like uh, uh, um, validation that this is something that the people of Berlin want. And now it's the case of holding it to uh, the politicians uh, to actually do something. Something that people internationally probably saw was once the referendum actually passed, there was a lot of like message of like, oh, it's non-binding, it's non-binding, it's non-binding. And that is kind of true to an extent. It's worth pointing out that a lot of press when discussing this referendum before it passed was like, this is going to destroy Berlin economically. This is going to be, this is literally there was things like this is going to turn Berlin and Germany into Venezuela. Uh, uh, Articles like that written in English and in German. Um, So people have pointed out, it's very convenient that this was a massive threat before it passed, but now that it's passed, oh, suddenly it's non-binding. But what actually means it happened is like, while it's non-binding in the sense of we can't force you to do the specific vision of what we want you to do, it is also technically illegal in Germany for them to ignore it. Uh, if they were to do nothing, there would be a possible lawsuit towards the government uh, that could be enacted. Um, and it also looks like the potential coalition that will be happening in Berlin would want to do something. And... Yeah, we're going to see how that goes. It's interesting. And like even more than the legal ramifications, I think the fact that so many people were mobilized for this, it kind of, um, there's a lot of opportunity there for, for it to be able, that momentum to be kept going or for like some prospects, you know, things build on themselves. Um, but from the commentary that I've been reading, something that's pointed out is like, there's a bit of an issue that there's no political force able to connect with and cohere the demands of the broader movement. Like it rises up in, in one way. Um, as you said, it's very grassroots, but there's like, it is still very disparate. You have like, Dilinka fading um and i don't know like a question i'd also have is what's the like character of the organized left in berlin because it always seems to me like a bit of a enclave of left-wing activity in wider germany like you see so yeah. many like socialists and left-wing people in Ger- in berlin and every time someone uh, leaves ireland on the left they're always going to berlin as well and it seems to be a little bit of a slice of uh like radicalism but i, I don't know what is the 
how, what's the shape of that and, and how does it feed into anything on the broader scale you know what i mean yeah so the left in berlin is quite strong uh, um i should say and like relatively decently organized in certain aspect but like in the kind of infinite stereotype of the left there is a million tendencies and that is to do with like not only like your classical kind of like splits of like anarchism socialism communists trotskyists whatever it there's also like reckoning with germany's history uh questions of was the ddr good uh things like that can also divide people understandably uh, this, though, has actually been quite uniting because despite all those questions, <laughs> um, the entire left in the city is pretty much agreed that, like, rent is ridiculous. Um, it's getting bad. We don't like these big property companies. Simultaneously, something that's also happening now is a lot of squats are being violently shut down in Berlin. Um, Which is something we've seen here, too, like recently mm. in Dublin. Um, there was one only there. People would have seen, Literally. and I'll link as well. Actually, right out around the corner from my house actually that one and a fantastic turnout again and a lot of different forces kind of uniting united in the same way i mean it's a common mobilizing thing i think uh well, one of the scots here was uh, uh shut down or attempted to be shut down uh i literally remember going out to um the center of town the day after this would have been last year um to i was i was getting my wife a birthday present and every shop window was just smashed in um and i was ran into a friend of mine who works in a the, um what are they called sex toy shop that was it and literally asking like <laughs> why why are your window and uh, they're like oh yeah the, the demo went through here and i was like oh it was that big cool like the the support for the squats here is actually quite strong to a certain extent there's other things that are getting a lot of support like um we've got like some striking gig economy workers at the moment as well um so there's a lot of issues that the left can actually unite on um, in the city and can show the numbers similarly uh, one thing to look out for in berlin is may day which is still a public holiday here uh, left over from the ddr and the numbers in may day uh, my co-host rob actually described it pretty well is that the numbers are there but what we lack is the confidence of those numbers like um the police are certainly aware uh police get shipped in from all the corners of the country to come like suppress that <laughs> demonstration and um so it, it, it's a very interesting situation uh in terms of deutsche von Co. and Taiba, more specifically they are like pre-democratically run and the organization is holding solid even though the referendum has passed uh a lot of them are turning into kind of uh an informal tenants union um in a lot of space with also like sections for different languages so my German is not very good. I, I can get by here, but maybe not to the level I feel like I can get politically involved. But there is like an English-speaking wing, and there's also been re- outreach to like the large Turkish-speaking population, Arabic-speaking population, Russian-speaking population of Berlin. So that's getting pretty exciting. And if my prediction would be Deutsche Wohnen Co. and regardless of what happens, is going to become something like a radical tenants union for this city um there's big questions that they're asking themselves this moment but yeah i i'm pretty optimistic about all this uh also the spd kind of won in both germany and also in berlin um this is our center left party uh social democrats and a lot of people here were concerned 
because the candidate running for mayor of Berlin was against this uh, passing, even though plenty of people in her party were for it. And now that she's actually been elected mayor, and it did pass pretty emphatically, she's kind of changed her tune a little bit. And it looks like the only viable coalition for her to get into in the Berlin level is with the two parties that supported it. So, yeah. Oh, also the fun thing is this is also uh, constitutionally viable. I forgot to mention this. There's actually a provision in the German constitution that allows us to do this. <laughs> this was the, uh, uh, as we joke, the part, of the, coal- the part of the constitution that was added because they didn't know which way the Cold War was going to shake up. So they're like, <laughs> just in case the Soviets win, we have this uh, seizing property <laughs> part of our constitution. It was like, hey, we're, you, you, we're, we're friends. Let's, yeah, let's go. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's that's really interesting. Um just in the context of the 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 election then because you mentioned the election which obviously took part on the same day. Um and while we have you here, we might as well talk about what was a very important uh, election. Um so in that election in Germany, um the Die Linke or the left party did pretty poorly like their yeah. their vote basically collapsed um and i'm just curious what the reasons for that are um i'm sure they felt fo- they faced a lot of like you know media hammering them but was there any is there any more fundamental malaise uh in the left in that sense um or was it just a combination of other outside factors it's a combination of stuff some of it outside some of it internal for sure uh, with the outside stuff, you rightly pointed out, there was a Red Scare uh, um, campaign um, referred to adorably in the German language as the Rotterzocken, which is the Red Sox, uh, uh, a Red Sox campaign. Um, but that was mostly directed towards um, the SPD and the Greens, but mostly for the sin of working with Die Linke and the Berlin level. Um, which is also kind of like how Berlin is viewed by the rest of Germany. You know, it's this chaotic urban center where they do crazy left-wing things and they don't have any money and you'll get shot in the streets or stuff like the The same kind of stuff that most like provincial people view of their capital. Uh, um, so that was like a weird thing. And it did, it, it, it sucked. Like I watched one of the debates uh, um, where like the head of the national greens was like, um, oh, you, but you want to work with Die Linke. And she just like quickly responds with, oh, but that's only in Berlin. And like, that just really, really sucked to hear. Uh, mm-hmm. Not 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 from the perspective of the left. So I, I mean, from like a tactical perspective, like any conservative that hears that is going to think that's just an excuse. And anyone on the left is going to be like, you spineless piece of shit, go away. <laughs> so it's like, it was like, and, and they did kind of get hammered. The Greens were like a dis- disappointing performance. There was periods last summer where it looked like they were going to be the, uh, they had a real chance of being the biggest party and that didn't happen. They uh, they came third. Um, So that's what the Red Scare campaign was mostly directed towards. As for Delinka, um, I would say it's basically a problem that has been a long time coming. Um, there was a, a split within the party that if I were to call them both favorably, I would say one is the, the view Delinka as the party of the movement. And then the other side would be the party of unions. Um, that's me favoring. That's, that's me talking about both 
sides favorably and probably how they would describe themselves. Um, but they both kind of had problems. And even though people weren't necessarily aware of the minutiae of like this debate internal to Tilinka, I think it was kind of obvious to the German public that there was a disagreement. There was a split internally that made them look kind of unserious to a certain extent. Uh, uh, the comparison I jokingly made is like, you don't need to know the nature of my midlife crisis to know that I'm going through a midlife crisis. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that, that was particularly interesting. Uh, um, I would probably favor personally the side of like party of movements, which is also what's happening. A lot of like urban centers, uh, namely um, college educated is kind of a thing. Um, Yelinka also appeals to academia. Um, so while the far right party of Germany, the AFD, is actually the party of like uh, most support with people with PhDs, which is a terrifying thing to right, consider. Okay, wow, uh, that's yeah. strange. That's kind of counter to a lot of oh European yeah yeah countries. It, it do not for a second think that the like AFD is knuckle tracking like uh, raw, raw, raw blood and soil people. They they have like an intellectual basis to their movement, which is even more terrifying. Um, but Dilinka is successful and popular amongst those um, still under the employ of colleges and universities, like people who have PhDs, but are actually still working for colleges, um, academia, to put it more broadly. Uh, it also worked with like precarious students. Uh, it's quite popular with, um, but other terrifying things in Germany is that the most popular party with um those under the age of 29 is actually the FTP, which is our um, libertarian centrist free market crypto bro kind of uh, political party. Um, a lot of Twitch streamers like them. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like the Irish equivalent of them probably would have been the PDs, the progressive Democrats when yeah. they were around. Yeah, um, maybe, but it, it's, it's gotten like, it's gotten kind of extreme because the, the, people talk about like Dilinka being like a threat to the economy, but like most economists uh, uh, have actually kind of quietly agreed that it would actually be this party because they're like, they're basically going to demolish Southern Europe in the favor of keeping Germany going. Um, so that's like, yeah, but going back to Dilinka, sorry, getting distracted here. The, the conflict between these two movements was that the, the union movement uh, uh, accused the, the movement, the union wing, I should say, accused the movement wing of being like too urban, too intellectual, and on a nastier side would say like, oh, things like trans issues, the common worker doesn't actually care about that, which is a completely horrifying, unfounded statement, um, because that does not bear in reality. Uh, the face of this wing, for better or worse, was a woman called Zara Wagenknecht. One of the big problems with this is that for a while, these two wings agreed in a court and sanitaire, like do not basically publicly trash talk each other. Um, she did not take part in that. <laughs> she was the biggest face of the like union wing, if you want to call that the workerist wing, if you want to call it, uh, and would publish like a best-selling book about like, why Dilinka is trash, even though I'm like a member of it. Mm. Um, some of those critiques were fair. Some of them were just completely baseless. Like we shouldn't care about gay people because the image I have in my head of like a worker in Germany who works some sort of factory job also doesn't care about gay people. Um, really 
really shitty stuff like that, which um, she's, I think, now been successfully sidelined in the party, but also that came far too late, probably about like six months before the election. She was put at the head of the list in the most populous state in Germany for Die Linke, um, North Rhine-Westphalia, out in the West. But that basically is code for, yeah, you're going to lose to the center-left. Good luck. Um, so, like, that's her being relegated. And, um, and I think that's, re- like, fairly reflective of a tendency in a lot of social democratic parties in, your, in like, in Britain now with Labour. You kind of had that blue Labour tendency last year which is kind of returning to like some kind of distorted workerism, which at the same time buys into kind of chauvinist attitudes about like, you know, back to Great Britain. And I'm sure it's possibly similar in Germany. Like, so obviously, even though she was sidelined, there's still a tendency in D-Linka for that kind of... Who thinks she was correct, effectively. Yes, yeah. And the thing that she was correct about, though, is that D-Linka has been doing a terrible job of appealing to... Germany is actually quite strong union movement. Mm. Yeah. Um, like, I, don't get me wrong, the movements thing is going for a working class. Like, they're actually quite successful with, like, um, like I said, the precarious uh, people who are working gig jobs or on what Germany legally call, calls mini jobs, which is like tax free jobs you can get if you're only earning like 400 euro a week. Um, it's a, a, I don't have time to go into all that. And they're also quite successful. The movement wing has been quite successful with like, uh, like a more urban working class, like nurses and teachers. Um, but which is still kind of like service economy based, but D-Link in general is also having, has been having a huge problem with, um, manufacturing basically, which are kind of relegated to these, uh, not major urban centers, like these small, what Germans would call dwarfs villages, where like this one factory is like the principal employer. Um, and then everything else just kind of exists to support that. Um, it's worth pointing out that like the center left party of Germany, the SPD is like far better at being involved with the unions, even though they pass a lot of legislation that kind of like undercut union negotiating and stuff like that. Um, Die Linke, one way I've heard it described is they they kind of hope that by just saying the right stuff, the unions will come to them rather than the reverse. They could need to say the right stuff and actually go to the unions. Um, that A smaller version of that also happens with the movements, to be fair, um, where they said they supported Deutsche Wohnen Cointagnum, but I know some people who are principal activists of that movement kind of felt a little bitter that like, they didn't actually see a lot of Dilinka people come to them. They just kind of expected them to go to Dilinka. If you get me, yeah, that 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 definitely makes sense. And yeah, I think like as 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 Dermot was saying, there is like it that does seem to be a trend you see bearing out across the global left. Really, that this kind of false opposition that's created between workers and movements. Um, that is, I think, like 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 a lot of these things. It, the, the beginning point is sort of like a grain of truth. The fact of like the the failure of lots of kind of contemporary left movements to properly engage with workers and movements, um, but then the conclusion that's reached based on that ends up taking you to completely the wrong place. Like things like I'm I'm thinking of things like Angela Nagel and like Kill All Normies and stuff. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, that yeah. that it strikes me as reminiscent of that kind of tendency. Like um, Zav Connect has had some of her articles translated into English in the same place that publishes articles written by Andrew uh, uh, 
by Nagel. Um, so it, it, it's a very similar thing. There is one kind of like possibly uniquely German uh, caveat to Die Linke and their fallen support, which is, um, I say this with all the love in my heart, but they were basically never a working class party. They never had like working class support. Um, at best, they were able to capitalize on East German rage. And a lot of those people would have been working class. Um, but they were voting Die Linke because basically East Germany was destroyed post-reunification. Uh, if anyone's aware of like the shock doctrine and what happened to Eastern Europe, that also happened to uh, East Germany. Um, there's like no, there's not, there's basically no East German based companies. There's no East German millionaires in this country. Like the, the wealth just like completely fled. Um, there's ridiculous examples of just like East German publishing companies, just like throwing all their books out into the streets because that's what like the company that bought them decided what to do. Uh, even though it's like, it, it's still a book. <laughs> you can still read it. It's like, it's not even just like the principles of Marxism. It was just like, you know, like fucking, like a fantasy book about like some shit. It wasn't, it wasn't even particularly ideological or whatever. And they just get rid of all this stuff. The, the East Germany is like this still incredibly impoverished place. So Die Linke offered this voice of like, no, fuck you, West Germans, fuck you, Vessies. Um, because for a while they were the only party that said the status quo is not helping East Germany. Um, while the other conventional parties of Germany were kind of saying, no, we just need to keep going. And then suddenly, magically, East Germany will also be rich like the West. Um, Now that's been undercut with AFD, the far-right party, which has also capitalized on that East German rage. But their explanation of why that is is because of the immigrant rather than West German capitalism. Mm. Um, So I just took to expand the discussion here a bit further again then about the election we've already kind of talked about the left and and Linka, but like what is the state of german politics after the election like what what does the the result really mean um in in your view because obviously the the kind of headline is that the the spd won quote unquote um but as with a lot of things it it the reality is much less clear than that. <laughs> so um, the prediction basically now is we're going to get what's referred to as uh, ample coalition, uh, a traffic-like coalition, uh, which is obviously named for the colors, red, green, and yellow. So that's the Green Party representing green. FDP, this kind of centrist libertarian party representing the yellow. And the red being represented by the SPD, the... Uh, um, center left uh um one of the traditional two party of germany uh the other being the christian democrats we can get to them later um that's probably going to go ahead now with the spd leading that um and that was kind of clear from the get-go because one of the first things that happened after results is actually the the greens and the ftp the the libertarian party they actually sat down together and like, look, we're going to be the kingmakers. So let's decide between the two of us what we want out of this. And then let's approach the two other big parties as a kind of like united force, um, which kind of limited your options mathematically, basically to um, Ample, Traffic Light, or Jamaica, where the red is replaced with the black color of the CDU. Um, that would have been a terrifying 
uh, coalition, to be perfectly honest. Um, so this is probably the best option of the most re- of ones that are realistic. Um, I think a lot of people like me were hedging our bet or like uh, being a bit optimistic that the possibility could have been red, red, green, which is SPD, D-Link and the Greens. But to be honest, that was never really all too possible. Um, the big thing that the left is basically looking for now is what the nature of the cabinet would be, what you would call the cabinet, because the head of the Libertarian Party, the FTP, uh, um, has basically turned that party into a cult of personality around him, uh, um, Christian Linde. Um, and he kind of, he figures himself very handsome, first of all, because all his pictures are just his face and his like five o'clock shadow and him always in suits. Uh, um, very much a, a, a kid who brought a roller backpack to, to school <laughs> uh, or a briefcase. And that's Linda, L-I-N. I need to look D- him up, obviously. D-N-E-R. His politics are very right wing. He's like very kind of like almost American libertarian, which is to say like, oh, we hold progressive positions on like gay marriage and weed. But that's nice. about it. Yeah. Um, and then everything else is just like complete free economics, no regulations. Regulations get in the way of everything. They also kind of, unlike the Christian Democrats, the kind of like traditional conservative party of Germany, one of the things that I've been thinking about lately is they represent a, the FTP represent a very kind of like unproductive capital. They represent a very like overly financialized capital. They love startups. They love cryptocurrencies. They love like big property management companies and extracting rent. Whereas say what you will about the Christian Democrats, they love Volkswagen and Volkswagen <laughs> actually makes something. <laughs> like, yeah. um, so like, that's the kind of like distinction there. Um, He's always been gunning for finance ministry, basically. He's under basically no illusions that he would be the chancellor, uh, but he also doesn't want that. And besides the chancellor, finance ministry is the most powerful position of Germany because it's the person who controls the money of Germany, which is also a nice way of saying the person who basically controls the money of all of Europe. Um, So (laughs) there's uh, that to deal with as well. Um, so him and the Greens are happy to go into like environmental ministry. Naturally, that's the thing they're gunning for. And so basically it's down to whether the SPD will let Christian Lindner have the finance ministry. Um, only it's kind of looking like that would happen now. The only thing you can say against it is that the guy who ran for chancellor for the SPD was the previous finance minister. And while he's not going to be finance minister again, he might want to keep that within his party. And the prospect of Lindner being a finance minister, my understanding anyway, is like basically like completely fatal to the prospect of any more kind of expansionary monetary policy in the Eurozone, really. Um, Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a possibility that he would just get steamrolled. Um, from doing corner spatey and like trying to focus on all of Europe, it kind of seems like the quiet consensus is that there needs to be something. We can't be post coronavirus. We can't be as hawkish as we were uh, uh, post two thousand and eight, for example. And like even people like Mario Draghi have slightly changed their tune on that. And like he's the face of like the post two thousand and eight euro policy and stuff like that. So it. That's like very interesting. I think that's the silver line of hope that 
either externally through Europe or even within Germany of just like the FTP being bullied by the two larger parties in the coalition um, get him to say like, uh, you know, just give him the title as kind of like a nice little treat, something for the CV, but really we'll still, you know, we'll still run this. Um, that's a possibility. But yes, uh, he would favor something. Uh, he wouldn't view it as punitive. He would just view it as the, you know, the best way to do things. Give, hand things over to private interests. Don't regulate them. Let them run. That's the smartest way to do things, even though every business he started has basically failed. Uh, we'll do a whole episode of that on Cornish Beatty because he's just a hilarious character. <laughs> oh my God. Um, but if I was going to say one thing that is probably very probable, that is looking likely and will happen um weed legalization that's Which probably is... the thing that the <laughs> it's only positive yeah, very yeah, grim, yeah. but here there's the one thing we might also get a little bit of uh, um some amendments to citizenship law right uh germany is still one of those countries that technically doesn't allow you to have dual citizenship right uh but that's probably going to change at least that's what the three parties are all in favor of they don't i mean for very different reasons like the spd and greens want to do it for like social progression reasons uh i think christian linder wants to do it for like foreign capital reasons right okay. uh, yeah yeah which is kind of the, like we, we want to do an episode on kind of drug legalization drug prohibition in the future um but i do think there's like a big capital push certainly like also have been in canada and it's all just like a massive industry over there as commercialized as drinking mm. or smoking or anything like yeah. that um it's hard for me to tell how far we've gone now because we spent like 15 minutes at the start just talking about nickelodeon <laughs> <laughs> um, so i think like this we should probably wrap up on this and the last thing is just kind of ask it's kind of recent and one of the things that's mentioned in this movement is the inclusion of like Fridays for Future and the environmental movement um, and just what the nature of that is in Berlin obviously they would have had COP26 demonstrations presumably recently was that the case um, yeah. yeah and just what's what is what are the movements at the moment in Berlin where you are um, and is there any prospect of like something larger I know the environmental movement was quite big in Germany uh, mm. prior to lockdowns yeah, uh, in terms of environmentalism stuff, it's it's kind of hard to say. Uh, election took a lot of like the steam away from that, and there was huge problems where like various policy analysts would like kind of come away being like, "Delinka has the best policies on environmentalism," but you know the Greens are called the Greens, so I'm going to vote for the Greens. Uh, so like there was there was problems there. Uh, I think that sucked up a lot of like. Uh, momentum almost the election uh, like elections in any big country and even ireland as well they can kind of just like take the spotlight for a very very long period of time so movements can kind of be pushed to a side for a little bit um green movements in germany are quite good there's still a lot of like weird confusion uh green movements are very strongly tied up with like anti-nuclear thing which is a debate i'm not going to get into but like initially that was largely founded by like even with the greens that was founded by like no i don't think germany should have nuclear capability because some nazis are still in government is basically the problem with west germany uh, um rather than and now that's kind of warped into this quasi environmentalist position uh, even though the initially it was more actually like a fascism and security uh, uh, um an anti-war position actually that's probably the better way of putting it 
Um, so the history is actually quite confused. Currently, it's quite good. Uh, I think Fridays for Future is quite strong. Uh, Extinction Rebellion was here for a bit, but I haven't really heard from or seen them quite a bit lately. Um, and it's also it's just becoming like the norm. Um, like the the only party I think in in the last election that was like getting really really anti green was the far right, the AFD. Even the CDU are like. Like they had posters up with a guy, uh, um, what we kind of jokingly refer to as like stroking a solar panel. He was like, I guess it was meant to be like him <laughs> mid installing it, but it always looked like the 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 final scene of uh, um, Starship Troopers, where they like, they put the hand on the bug brain and was like, "It's afraid, it's afraid," uh, just trying to read the read the mind of a solar panel or whatever. But like, they, it looks like the Greens actually in their negotiations might push up the deadline to become like fossil fuel or coal free sorry in this country uh um relatively soon right uh but green infrastructure is a huge problem still uh the big campaign though is like um enda galenda out more in the west which is like against these like massive strip mining operations that occur within germany um for coal as well as other materials that uh, um don't have like a good carbon footprint, but also are just like incredibly damaging to extract them. Um, so that's probably like the big, big movement. Still quite radical, but it's it's quite far from Berlin physically. Uh, I I know a lot of people involved in it, but they travel to go to it. Yeah, yeah, and for any listeners that are interested in that type of stuff, I'd hope in the next couple of weeks to have someone on from uh, Learning in Camp, which is a kind of a, a socialist grouping in germany who are operate in Linka to talk about the like the wider union and environmental movement if possible we'll, we'll check back in on that um it'll be interesting but for now i think that's um that'll do us i think firstly thanks a million michael for joining me no worries. and a massive massive thanks to kieran for joining us today and giving us the rundown on the berlin housing movement and the larger happenings in germany and everything in between and i'd highly highly recommend everyone to give corner spady a listen if you haven't already i imagine many people already have uh, and you might let us know what's what's going on with you at the moment what are you working on at the moment oh my goodness uh, um i think the big thing is we're we're, we're doing our uh, a bonus series based on Operation Gladio, which was a large post-World War II CIA operation on this continent, which I find very interesting. Yeah. Uh, um, did you know that Switzerland, if they got invaded by the Soviet Union, planned on moving their government in exile to Ireland uh, rather than everyone else's choice was London? They chose Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, this never came to pass, but you know. Um, in terms of what else is going to be happening... We stream regularly. We record our main episodes for free. We'll probably be talking about places like Iceland. We're getting ready for the big French election that's going to be mm. starting next year. Um, yeah, just kind of wrapping up for the year. And uh, I'll probably want to talk about like the youth uh, uh, that are backing the Libertarian Party because most of them are based on like following Twitch streamers that got rich by selling <laughs> Pokemon cards and then complaining <laughs> about like how punitive taxes are in Germany. 
Um, so, you know, I'm not making that up. That's actually a real person. I've just forgotten his Twitch name. <laughs> <laughs> we'll link him. We'll link him in the episode description. <laughs> check, him check him out. Do you understand German and <laughs> hate redistributive economics? Listen to this guy. Big thing about him and then a little thing about listen to Cornish Bailey at the end. Uh, <laughs> no, that's fantastic. Uh, we, everything will be linked anyway. So thanks a million, everyone, for listening. I think we can leave it there. Thank you, gentlemen. I'm going to send this all to the editor and they can do whatever they want with it. Yeah. <laughs> the era of iCarly and possibly like Zoe 101, which came a bit before it, was an uh, era in which I was just like, no, I can't keep going with this. And yeah. um, <laughs> or or when someone pointed out when a, a classmate of mine pointed out that Drake and Josh is just white Keaton and Kel and I'm like it is, <laughs> it is <yeah. laughs> it <was>. trying <laughs> to synthesize Berlin referendum and Nickelodeon because <laughs> <laughs> I'm already getting too hot <laughs> listening to this <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna ask me a question about like, oh, how did D-Link get perform in the elections? I'm just going like, hey, fucking remember Blade? Lane? <laughs> <laughs> I'm wasting, I'm wasting away, I'm wasting, I'm wasting away. Uh, Victorious uh, yes. Nickelodeon. <laughs> yeah. The thing that like just completely destroyed my brain is the fact that. Um, the extended universe because they were all written by the same guy so and they were always like yeah they're all forced to like make crossovers as these big like events like tv events of like tune into the episode where the iCarly crying hang out with the victoria stuff and like so people online try to work out how this is all connected and and unfortunately it is called the nickelodeon sitcom universe right which is abbreviated as the NSU, which is an abbreviation in Germany, which stands for National Socialist Underground. <laughs> a series of murders. <laughs>
last bit of makeup. Your last coat button falls away, flowing through life another day. One shoelace beating in the other people on the bus, shouting at one another. Can of Suborg, I'm a mess. Go get that bird in the leery yellow dress. I'm wasting. 